I want to say, I think it's 70% of our staff is formerly incarcerated right now because huh. we just, you know, we just try and hire as much as we can. And, you know, I don't know the exact statistic, but a couple of months ago, maybe two months ago, our entire company was 50% formerly incarcerated. So that included cultivation, manufacturing, distribution, and uh, in our dispensary. And so it's something that we're constantly, you know, trying to, to, to keep even and, uh, and always give those who, who haven't had opportunities an opportunity. This is Lit and Lucid, your after work de-stress smoke sesh podcast. I'm your host, Lit. And I'm your host, Lucid. And we're going to take you on a journey. A journey to discover the truth and find the balance. Every week, we get deep on those thought-provoking topics that ooze out of the cannabis universe. But we also keep it real by illuminating important issues and people in today's culture. So kick back, consume your favorite cannabis products, and get cozy, cozy in the, the lit and lucid, lucid lifestyle. Welcome everybody to the Lit and Lucid podcast. We are here recording another episode of the show. We are like almost halfway through the season, you guys. So just rocking and rolling through some really amazing stories. We really hope you've been enjoying it along the way. But a few weeks ago, you might have remembered, we spoke to Nayambe McIntosh of the Peter Tosh Foundation about some of the real-life horror stories that come with incarceration. She shared the story about her brother, Gerara, who was brutally beaten while in jail for a cannabis charge. And unfortunately, he did end up losing his life after that situation occurred. Today, we are speaking with Kevin Iasi, the CEO of Eco Cannabis in Oakland, California, who's focused on providing job opportunities to formerly incarcerated individuals. Kevin hopes that his business model can be a prime example of what businesses can do outside of social equity programs to showcase real systemic change for those impacted by the war on drugs. So with that, welcome, Kevin. Thank you. Yeah, we're excited to learn more about the program you guys have put together. And I think that's something that's uh, it's really cool in our eyes. And I think it's something that's really going to kind of make ripples in, in the industry. And I think that a lot of others are going to follow suit. Uh, mm-hmm. So we really just kind of want to get to know the man behind the mission here. And uh, we saw in your bio that you have over 15 years of experience as a real estate expert. So tell us, you know, how that how that experience kind of intertwined and led you to cannabis. Yeah, well, one, thanks for having me. Uh, it's a great subject to talk about. It's passionate. Uh, I'm passionate about it, so uh, really easy to talk about it. And I think that, you know, one of the most important things uh, with social equity is building awareness um, so that people understand what it is and why they should support it. Um, so um, kind of how my journey and how I got into cannabis, um, I've always been a cannabis user, um, advocate, um, kind of kept it uh, somewhat low profile, um, being in, uh, corporate real estate, uh, wasn't really acceptable. And, uh, you know, I, but I believed in it and it, it, it really helped me uh, with my sleep, with my anxiety, with my depression, kind of keep me a little bit more level. Uh, especially when I decided to quit drinking, uh, quite a few years ago, uh, it was, it was great for uh, that transition. Um, and so when legalization came about, um, having that real estate background and that knowledge was really imperative to getting into the cannabis industry. Um, there's a reason why quite a few real estate people are in the cannabis industry, and that's because to navigate the waters of permitting and regulation, you need to have that background. Um, it's so difficult. And if you don't, then you're subject to either bringing somebody on your team that has that background or hiring a consultant that generally is super expensive and, and might not be all that great um, with, you know, the ins and outs of the city. So um, I was lucky enough to have uh, a former client who owned a large property in Oakland um, 
give me a call and say, hey, you know, how can we use this property to to its best ability based on on the zoning that it has? And the zoning was in the green zone. And so that really led, I guess you could say me down, uh, down the, the hole following the white rabbit. And, um, you know, next thing you know, three and a half years later, you know, I have cultivation, manufacturing, distribution and a dispensary in, in, uh, in West Oakland. And um, all of that, I think, is, has come to fruition because of our support of Oakland's social equity program. Um, that's what's allowed us to get the licenses that, that we've needed to operate. Um, it's, you know, really endeared us to the community that we operate within and, um, and it's given us in, in my opinion, an identity and a, and a mission that, uh, is missing, uh, from a lot of different dispensaries out there. So we're, we're extremely passionate about it. Yeah, that's interesting. So do you have background in the Oakland community or are you from California? Yeah, so I've grown up in the East Bay my entire life uh, and ended up going to UC Berkeley, which is about two, I don't know, two, three miles from our dispensary now. So <laughs> nice. crazy to think that when I was going there that I would be operating in a legal cannabis space. It's <laughs> it's my fault. Um, but yeah, that's the reality. So I, I have had close ties to the community for a long time and I, I plan on being here for the rest of my life. So I love this area. That's awesome. Well, let's dive into it a little bit more. I know you guys have committed to 50% of your workforce being those who were formerly incarcerated. Tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit more about that program. Yeah. So um, one of the things that we committed to was, uh, was just that hiring 50% of our staff at our retail locations uh, with having a former incarceration. Um, We felt that was important when we were filling out our application and explaining to the city of Oakland why it, why give us a license versus some of the other applicants that were were applying for uh, for that for that particular position. There was only four licenses being given out at that time to a general applicant, which is what I would qualify as of because you're either general or you're social, uh, and I didn't qualify as social. And so, you know, in speaking with my partner, uh, who was the property owner, he was, uh, he had owned the property for 30 years in East Oakland. That's a five acre campus with 90,000 square feet of industrial warehouse. And so we had hosted a slew of other uh, businesses operating in Oakland and uh, more uh, heavy industrial uh, businesses and small, small businesses. So he was accustomed to uh, kind of the grind and, and bootstrapping of, of businesses. And so he said, you know, let's go ahead and support this. Uh, we ended up um, prior to hiring 50% formerly incarcerated, we actually incubated eight social equity businesses at our campus. Nice. What that means is that we provided a thousand square feet of free rent for three years at no charge. Uh, and we also provided security services uh, to those those companies for three years. And um, it's it's crazy to think that those three years have come, has come and gone. And so uh, six of those companies have, have since moved on. We did keep two um, and released space to them. Um, it's two companies that I'm I'm personally mentoring and uh, and just kind of helping them get along the road. Uh, uh, one's a delivery business and the other is a, a distribution business. Um, and so. Yeah. So uh, that that's how we got our licenses. We incubated those. Uh, we also committed to the 50% formerly incarcerated. We also committed to buying 50% of the product that we sell at the dispensary from those social equity businesses that we support. And that really ties them into the ecosystem of what we're trying to do. It mandates that these third-party vendors, whether it's Cookies or Kiva or whoever we're buying from, their distribution needs to go through a social equity business before it gets to us. And what that does is that 
really injects the social equity business into the cannabis business. It automatically introduces them to vendors. It automatically teaches them how supply chains work, how to, the metric system works of recording all of this uh, and invoicing. And so we felt that um, it was a great way to really force other companies to support social equity businesses, whether they liked it or not. And so far, it's been really, really great. That's pretty interesting. So, uh, you know, just to walk it back a bit, tell us what that means. You know, for a company like Cookies, does that mean that if you go force them to have, you know, some type of social equity component, does that mean that their products have to be made by um, like a social equity, like cultivation or? Yeah, Cookies is probably a bad example because we don't we, um, we don't carry them and and they don't really follow any social equity as far as I know in, in Oakland. Um, so I, I think, you know, what, what, what we would do is more, let's use Kiva for instance, which doesn't have a storefront, right? So if, if Kiva wants to get their product, uh, which is a really popular gummy in, uh, in California, if they want to get their product into our store, and, and this is actually how we do it, they need to, uh, deliver to, uh, a, one of our social equity, uh, distributors. And then the social equity distributor does the last mile. And so rather than charging me, you know, let's pull a random number, 10% of the cost to deliver that product, maybe they're only charging me 7% and then giving 3% to that social equity business. And so these are the deals that we work with them in order to make sure they incorporate social equity into, into the whole business model. That's very cool. I think that's almost imperative because like you're saying, I think it's more than just giving them the opportunity. It's like getting them, getting them like hands on of like working with these systems and being a part yep. of the system. That's what we uh, spoke with Nyambe about was a lot of these things are just kind of lip service. And then people set up these rules and regs or uh, the state sets up the rules and regs or local government makes, you know, an area where people can operate. But then a lot of people are still left wondering like, well, where do I start and where do I get help? Yep. And and everything. Yep. It sounds like you guys are just like, you know, come on, we'll show you and like you're hands on, which is great. Yeah. You know, I, 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 the reason why we do a lot of these podcasts and, and try and get the word out there is that, you know, we want to force other dispensaries and other businesses to act just like we are. Um, you know, you can talk about supporting the last prisoner project. You can talk about supporting the NCIA uh, and, and how passionate you are about social equity. But at the end of the day, put your money where your mouth is higher up. Right. Because we haven't had any problems. It's, it's not like, you know, the, the, these formerly incarcerated people are breaking into us or causing us, you know, business disruption. We've got, you know, over 800 reviews on Google that are 4.9 or higher. Um, and so that just tells you a lot. What it means is that people like to talk about social equity. They don't like to actually do it. And um, and, you know, I I can say that we're the only dispensary in Oakland that's doing this. Um, but I can also say that by far, we are not the most popular dispensary in Oakland. And that says a lot because, you know, the word's just not getting out there and it's hard. It's hard to advertise in, in, in cannabis, right? And, but that people should shop with their hearts and they should know, you know, what's behind these companies. And, and I think what we're doing, it's difficult. It's not easy. Um, it takes extra effort. But, um, but I think in the long run, um, we're going to prevail because it's, it's just one, it's the right thing to do. And I think it gives us an identity as a business as well. And it's an identity I'm proud of. Mm -hmm. I like that. So is there like uh, is there like a specific program or requirements for these individuals to, to get a job or work with your company? Not necessarily other than the former incarceration, we take them through an interview process and we don't obviously hire everybody that comes through with the former incarceration. There's a vetting process and, 
you know, it just depends. We try to find the right person for the right job. If you're going to be more on the, on the, the, the floor, uh, uh, customer facing, you're going to need more of an outgoing personality because there's a certain experience that we offer the customer and we want to make sure they get that every time. If you're more maybe soft-spoken or subdued, maybe, you know, more, a, a more of an administrative job might be for you. But we're selective in what we do because we, we're protective of our brand. And, you know, we, we, we want to make sure that the customer always experiences the, the same great, uh, great uh, relationships they, they have with our experienced guys every time they come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was kind of my question, though, like, because I wasn't sure if you guys worked with, you know, like local jails or prisons or something to like, you know, offer what your program was. And then kind of when they ended their incarceration, they would kind of feed into these different application processes. Or is it more just like word of mouth? No, we actually work with multiple agencies in the city of Oakland that support uh, the re-entry of, of uh, those formerly incarcerated. It's a tricky thing. And so um, you have to make sure that the person's not on parole because part of their parole is usually that they can't work in the mm-hmm. cannabis industry. So there's certain things like that. But um, we try and grab from a lot of different places. Uh, we'll post on Indeed and we'll be very upfront that you know we are looking for those with former incarcerations. Um, we will work with local agencies. And like I said, it's not easy. It's not as easy as hiring people that don't have incarceration. So, you know, our, our hiring process is a little bit more extensive, right? It's not as easy as just having an open call and everybody coming in, right? We actively search for these people because finding someone with a former incarceration, that's a good fit for our shop. It's not easy, no. right? We do it, right? And, and and it can be done. And 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 that's really the point we're trying to get across is, you know, let's let's, you know, see if, if the industry overall can give this a little bit more effort. And ideally that local and state governments can start mandating the stuff. Right. Like that. Yeah. yeah, we talk about that often and, and this probably came up like a couple of weeks ago with our with our show with Nyambe and I'm sure before, but Lucy and I were talking here in Colorado. Uh, they made it explicitly illegal if you had any type of, uh, it wasn't even a felony or anything. I think it was any type of drug conviction. They prohibited you from working within the industry. And I think yep. they might have just changed that. Somebody should fact check. I'm not really sure. Um, but if they haven't, I mean, they should because that was one of the red flags to me is when this whole thing got started. I'm like, they're very explicitly excluding people who have went to jail for this from working in the industry again. And that just seems like counterintuitive to the war on drugs and what we're trying to accomplish here. Yeah, that was, I think, specific to Colorado, right? Yeah, I think so. That was yeah. ridiculous. It was yeah, crazy. that was ridiculous. And where are they at with that right now, out of curiosity? I'm not sure. I think that they're changing it. I think they might have just, they've just put through a wave of like social equity bills. So I'm sure that was probably a part of it. And they're even doing yeah. a bunch of other stuff of like letting like temporary labor um, come work and, and trying to make the hiring process of at least getting like a badge to work in the industry a little bit more yeah. uh, lenient and accepting. Because before it was very like flat out of like, if you have any type of like drug conviction or anything with related to drugs, you can't work in this industry. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's a, that's another great example of, of where we're at uh, as an industry overall. Right. I mean, this is batting practice. We're not even in the first inning, mm-hmm. you know. And so all these mistakes that these states are making as they try to figure out same mistakes that companies like us are making as we try to figure out our way. And, you know, there's no standardization. And, you know, I mean. And so um, I think at the end of the day, uh, we will get there. Um, Obviously, having federal legalization and then having some type of mandate passed down to the states regarding social equity on a federal level would be great because then there's consistency across all states. Um, Is that going to happen? I don't know. Are state rights going to prevail? Any state's going to come up with their own program, potentially. Um, 
I think uh, it makes it difficult right now that not only does the state dictate these programs, but really they're led from from a local level. And and the problem with that is every local level is different. Um, we're, we're, we're currently uh, you know, in the process of opening another uh, shop in San Francisco. And those sets of rules are completely different from a social equity standpoint than Oakland, which is five miles away. Yeah. And it doesn't make any sense. And it, it's just, it's really hard for a lot of people to understand. And it, it, it I don't want to say it cheapens the name social equity or the word, but it dilutes it yeah. because people don't know what it means, right? In Oakland it means three years free rent, right? In San Francisco, totally different thing. And I'm getting to know what San Francisco is right now because it, you know, it is so different. And so I think if, you know, Governor Newsom came and said, hey, look, this is what California is going to do for social equity programs across the board. And we're going to mandate mandate that the lo localities who have agreed to sell cannabis, if you don't want to sell cannabis and it's a touchy subject, that's your issue. But if, if your town has agreed to do this, then this is how you're going to support the social equity program and everybody's going to be on the same level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's what you need. Almost just like a clarification across the board, like you're saying, because, yeah, it is just taking on a, a multitude of definitions at this point and everybody's kind of putting their different spin on it and i feel like somewhere in the cracks here like people are still getting left out and, and forgotten about because everybody's just trying to yeah. be unique and different and, and something yeah and granted every community is unique and different um but i think just everybody has to kind of like come to some kind of conclusion of like we very at the very least we should we can't be excluding people who had you know drug convictions or something on their record from partaking in an industry that was very much like made illegal because of a war on drugs like and then there's other people that are benefiting that maybe shouldn't be. And look, cannabis is known for people figuring out ways to get around the rules. That's exactly what's happening with social equity right now. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's what our business is based on. People know how to weasel around the rules and not get caught. And, and, and you know, and, and that's what's happening. And so, unfortunately, I think when the dust settles in a couple of years, it's not going to be such a good look for California. And, uh, you know, and so that's why, you know, I'm just doing what I can as far as you know, continuing to, to keep the commitments that we've made. And then, you know, on a personal level, you know, mentoring these businesses. It's, and again, it's not that hard. I meet with them for, you know, two, three hours a week and just tell them stuff that's, you know, very basic to me that they've never heard before. Why can't more people do that? Yeah. And that's so valuable. I mean, Jared and I also run a digital marketing agency and we talk all the time about the value of just having a mentor, just somebody you could just call up even for, like you said, an hour, two hours, and just maybe talk about an issue that you had during the week or whatever challenges you were facing. And that's just like such invaluable experience that you're offering to people, uh, which yep. is really amazing. That was and that's what you know, I think just to, to, to dovetail on that a little bit, that's that's what I think the social equity program needs. It's, it's what they don't have right now. And, it, and that's mentorship, right? So they're giving free rent, they're giving cash, right? right? And, and they're giving these cash in the form of loans. And they're giving these loans in the form of personal guarantees to people who have never run a business before, right? And, they, and these people, some of them, they don't even know that they're personally guaranteeing this stuff, right? And so you can't, you can't, you know, I guess it's just like, you know, it's the same thing as, as saying, you know, some of these corporations who are looking to come in and pay their way into the cultivation industry and the cannabis industry, you can't pay your way in. No. You need somebody who's been there, done that. And that's the same thing with the social equity piece is that you can't just give these people free rent and three, you know, and a hundred thousand dollars and say, here you go. Look, 70% of new businesses fail. Right. Forget social equity, forget cannabis. Right. So, 
put on top of that, that, you know, most of these businesses don't have a college degree. Most of these businesses have never run a business before and they're signing personal guarantees for these loans. This right. is a travesty. This is terrible. And so, you know, this is, this is what I'm looking at. And what I've encouraged the city of Oakland to do is set up a one-to-one mentorship program. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, it's, I, I don't think it's going to be something to where the social equity business is going to own 51% of that business because to find a mentor who's going to agree to that is going to be nearly impossible. So I think people's expectations need to get realistic. And I think people need to understand the value of mentor and education, right? And that this is just the step one, right? After you learn this, let's hop to step two and get that free rent and get that $100,000 because then you'll know what to do with it, right? Yeah. right? But right now they don't. Yeah. And I think rather than like saddling with like a lifetime of debt that they're going to have to figure out how to pay for, uh, you know, just like take the time. And all it is, is really just time instead of just trying to rush through this and, and appease the status quo, like take the time to develop a program that means something like you're saying. That's what Absolutely. Lucy and I talked about. We, we have a low income area that actually Lucy grew up in and I went to college there. It's called Pueblo, Colorado here in Colorado. And um, one of the things that I was thinking of doing down there was actually exactly what you did was just getting a building, renting out like a thousand square feet to some people and then just giving them like a space. Cause I was telling Lucy, a lot of these people just don't even know where to start. And if they could just have a space to go into, to start tinkering and figuring stuff out, I think organically a lot of stuff will follow, or at least there's a platform to start asking these other questions from. Um, but even yep. just trying to figure out spaces to do stuff. I mean, like you said, like you started this whole show with, uh, your real estate experience probably was one of the most valuable things coming into this just because of the zoning and the regulations. And it's just like on and on and on with um, trying to get a license to any place. Uh, and, yep. and that's just like so much to work through. And so on their own, I mean, there's just all these hurdles that anybody's going to have to work through. But even more so if you're expecting somebody who's either previously incarcerated um, and then you know, they've had a work back from their life of still having to deal with, you know, a record or something with cannabis, either a felony or something. And then to expect them just to run a business and go through licensing and have the funding and, and then be able to develop a team and all these things is just really like a long shot. And a lot of that, in yep. my opinion, just because we've almost made it so difficult just to procure a license in the first place that a lot of people are excluded from this whole process. Like, like yeah, the, people need help. Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt. And uh, so I just, you know, I, I hope that, that they do something about it, because right now what I see is a lot of bureaucracy. I see a lot of meetings, a lot of city council meetings. We have we now have a cannabis council. They hired third party consulting firms, and I'm not seeing a lot out of anybody. Yeah. I'm seeing that 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 these third party firms are getting paid. I'm seeing that. I'm seeing that the city of Oakland is paying them, right? And and uh, and so, why are you getting paid to support a social equity program, right? Why are, if you're so good, you know? And these are people who have, are. I see their, their, their career, they kind of hang around the city. They're always there for the program, you know? And, and as soon as the city gets that, that piece of the 10 million that California gave out, they pounce on it. And there's not even interviews. There's not, you know, the, the city of Oakland, they just go to their favorites and that's it. And that's why there's no change because it's the same people doing the same, the same thing, running the same programs yeah. and it's never going to change. Right. And so, I mean, it, it, at the very least, you know, the city of Oakland, come to me, interview me, right? I went through the equity uh, process, right? I incubated people. Come talk to me about my experience, what, what, what I think was right, what I think was wrong. They're not doing that. They're not doing that with anybody. And they've had hundreds of people out there that they can get this information from. But, you know, 
I think at the end of the day, I'm not going to sit and point my finger and say they're bad people. I think they're understaffed and they're just trying to crowbar this thing because it's coming at them so fast. And there's a lot of pressure socially to get the social equity component out there, yeah. right? And to look good. And if it's half baked, oh, well. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of scary. Lyle, I was going to mention about, you know, your, your talk of like, it's all the same people. That's what Lucy and I said. It's the same people that made the rules six years ago in Colorado that said, if you have a drug conviction, you're not a part of this industry. Those are the same people that created the social equity rules right. in 2020. And also the yeah. same people trying to put THC caps on concentrates that don't even understand concentrates. And so, you know, and they're probably is, spending hundreds of thousand dollars doing surveys to yep. see if it makes sense that they should change the social equity program. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But in a lot of this yeah. stuff, it's just like, it's, it's just like the people at the top and not to beat a dead horse. And, and I mean, we pick on Colorado a lot. Um, but a lot of it's just like asinine. Like when I first got in the industry, a medical didn't even have required testing until something like two years after recreational. And, and just to like catch everybody up to speed, medical was the first thing passed and regulated in Colorado two years before recreational even came about. So the medical yeah. industry went four years without ever having a single test regulated or implemented on it. And that just seems like like ass backwards. Like it doesn't even make sense, but you're putting all these like heavy test requirements and, and microbial tests and different things on recreational and um, that's like a, an off topic, but it just goes to show that there's not a lot of well, it thinking. It completely contradicts with it's contradictory. Are at this point right now. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, it's it just seems like there's not a lot of thought that gets put into some of these things. It's really just like knee jerk reactions, and a lot of it just it, it just comes down even harsher than it needs to be. Well, we can blame Nancy Reagan for all of this. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Hey, we talked about that, Edward yeah. Widenfield. You guys should go back and listen to Edward. He was. Uh, his his parents were on the Reagan's uh, staff there, so wow. he knew all about that. It wasn't good. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like it's going to take time. I, I I think at the end of the day, you know, you get into business because you love it, right? Not you know, for the most part. I, I I don't know. I mean, maybe the big companies are making a lot of money, but for the most part, everybody that I know is just doing their best to keep their head above water, and they're just thankful to be operating in the cannabis, the legal cannabis space. And so, you know, that's that's kind of our goal and. You know, like everybody talks about, you know, we have to create our own vision. And this is, you know, this is the industry where we're going to create the industry we want. Well, you know, why aren't more dispensaries doing this? Yeah. I don't understand. You know, I mean, stop donating to the last prisoner project and start hiring formerly incarcerated. Right. You know, I mean, it's like a direct right? solution. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is. And, and I just wish more people would do it. There's just so much talk out there. Uh, so, you know, we need more action. And I challenge all, all the dispensaries, specifically in Oakland, to step up. You know, it's it's not that hard. Step up. There's a lot of people out there. I can't hire them all. Mm -hmm. yeah. You're right. Exactly. It needs everybody needs to do that. Even if they committed to like 10 percent. I don't know, like just a couple of people each. Place. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that a little bit more. You guys have partnered up with a an organization called ConConnect that, um, you know, is like basically like I hear like a LinkedIn for uh, former inmates. Like, tell us about that. Yep. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not on con connect getting the people. We have an HR department that handles that, but those are just one, one resource of the many that we have to pull from. Um, and you know, like I had said earlier, it's not as easy as getting on indeed and just, you know, crossing your fingers and hopefully you get, you know, 50% formally incarcerated. And if you don't, oh, well, we, you know, we, we have to actively go and seek these different organizations, these different websites and, and, you know, and, and get, get these interviews going. And then within the interviews, you know, 
whether it's 10, 20, 30 percent um, higher ratio, you know, it just it, it all depends. But um, we need every resource that we can uh, get. Um, and because, again, we can't advertise on Facebook or, you know, we can't there's nothing we can do. I mean, we can't even you know, it's not like we're, we're getting news articles written on us about how we do this. And then people go, oh, gosh, I should go check out Eco because I got a former incarceration, mm-hmm. right? Whereas our hands are totally tied from a marketing standpoint, um, even on Instagram, right? We, we're, we're shadow banned on Instagram, which who knows what that means. But <laughs> apparently, you know, people can't see us and yeah. they're doing this behind closed doors. And, you know, they kind of allow cannabis, but they kind of don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, you know, because most of these shadow bans are happening to small companies and yeah. not big yeah. companies. And it's like what you're told is, well, once you get big enough, you're almost too big to fail on, on Instagram. What is going on? You know, <laughs> yep. yeah, it's right? all backwards. It's crazy. We, we yeah. see that every day, the shadow band. And you're totally right. It's absolutely a thing that these smaller companies seem to get picked on way more than these large companies. Large companies do whatever yeah. they please. Yeah. It's, it's just like, man, what? Are, let's help the small. Guys I, I just point. say, keep it coming. I'm not going anywhere. I'll be here. <laughs> well, I think that's a, I think Con Connect is really cool. Even just like speaking kind of beyond your guys' situation. I think if anybody out there you know, has a, has a family member of themselves or is a former inmate or incarcerated, check it out. That sounds, I was kind of mind blown that there's something out there like that because I think that's a great resource for anybody who's been in that position because it does, it does kind of change your life. And, and, uh, there has to be resources out there to help those individuals still recoup, recoup and kind of integrate back with society. Well, well think about this. What, what point in time or, or when have we had this to where we can hire formerly incarcerated, right? Because of, of cannabis in particular, right? And, and, and we have a, an opportunity to break this stigma of if you've been formerly incarcerated, then you're not good. You're not good enough. You're tainted. You're done. You are tainted right. for the rest of your life. And because you're tainted, you're put in this group, right? Which is the group that has that ceiling. You're not going to get above that ceiling. Your minimum wage, you're done, right? So we have we have all these people that are so enthusiastic about changing the world and bringing this plant to everyone, which I think is so important. But that's our footing, you know. What what once we get that foot in the door, what are we bringing behind us, right? Are we bringing this kind of stuff behind us? Because that's what I think cannabis and the cannabis community is all about, right? It's about being kind to each other. It's about everyone being equal, being you know equal rights, fair treatment, justice, you know. And uh, and and we've got this amazing moment in time when, you know, I'm working in the legal cannabis space. You guys are working in the legal cannabis space. If it's just about legalizing cannabis, I don't know. I, I think there's a lot more to it than that. And uh, I think people have to start looking at it that way. Start and, and start. I think people look at it that way. I think people talk about it that way. I don't think people act that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I even think what you're doing is breaking other stigmas as well for incarcerated individuals. You know, there's probably people out there that are, you know, I don't know, quote unquote, scared of somebody who went to jail. So if they go into your dispensary and are meeting with somebody who's so nice and kind and courteous to them and offering really great customer service and education about the plant, that's breaking a whole nother stigma. I mean, you said you had how many positive reviews on Yelp or whatever, like that's showing it on its own. Yeah, we have over 800. And and, and, you know, what's crazy is that I want to say, I think it's 70% of our staff is formerly incarcerated right now because we just, you know, we just try and hire as much as we can. And, you know, I don't know the exact statistic, but a couple of months ago, maybe two months ago, our entire company was 50% formerly incarcerated. So that included cultivation, manufacturing, distribution, 
and uh, in our dispensary. And so it's something that we're constantly, you know, trying to, to, to keep even and, uh, and always give those who, who haven't had opportunities an opportunity, but you got to be smart. You got to be good, right? I'm not just going to give you a job. You know, I just, I have to see talent. And, you know, if, if, if that experience isn't there, then we'll start you off at a, a position that dictates your experience level and then allow you to grow from there. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure, you, you know, you find those individuals who are just like anxious to get out there and like rebuild their life. And that's what you're looking for, I think, is people who like want the opportunity. Um, you know, what better opportunity than cannabis? I think it's something that people enjoy. You know, I love I love cannabis. You know, I love working with cannabis. And I think yeah. uh, if somebody spent their life, you know, underground or on the black market or something before it was legal dealing with cannabis, you know, they should still have the same opportunity now because it is legal. Why not? Yep. Yep. And I'll tell you, I, I, I had no clue how difficult it, I just didn't give it any thought how difficult it was for those with a former incarceration to get a job until I started doing this mm-hmm. until I started hearing about the stories of how they would go around all day, every day, filling out applications and be told no right off the bat because of that former incarceration. Right and how, how grateful they are for this opportunity. And so again, you know, I'm saying we're, we're, you know, two and a half years in now, we've been doing it the whole time, haven't had any problems. And I'm just saying, Hey, come on, let's everybody, let's get on board. Let's do this. Yeah. No, it's really a godsend for these people, honestly, because you check that box on your application. Like you said, you're out automatically. There's nothing. And so like to be able to come into your business and like, know that you have a chance, like, uh, that has to be such a breath of fresh air for these individuals. Absolutely. And you can see it. I mean, on the smart ones, the smart ones that appreciate the opportunity, there's some people that, you know, you're never going to change. Right. And that, that's the way it is. But that's that's the challenge. And that's what we got to go through to find those diamonds in the rough. In, formerly incarcerated or not formally incarcerated, it's still the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So let's just like in general, let's uh, so all these other states and, and, and it could be in, in Oakland, could be in San Francisco, could be in Denver, could be, you know, upcoming in New York is about to legalize. You know, what would you tell these either owners or dispensary managers or uh, people writing the rules? You know, what kind of advice do you have for them? Well, I think there's a couple of things. I think one, just because your state or lo- locality doesn't mandate this doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. And uh, and so you can do it on your own. And, you know, it's just up to, you know, what, what you're into and if that's something you're interested in supporting. Um, I think on, you know, as as these cannabis programs develop across the country in New York and, and different places, I think they should look to, to, to places that have already been doing it for a long time and and talk to guys like me and, you know, and, and, and go about it intelligently. Right. People have already done this. People have already made mistakes. People have already learned from those mistakes. So be smart, you know, lean on that knowledge that other people have have gained through experience and don't make the same dumb mistakes that, you know, the, the state of California and the city of Oakland did. When implementing these programs, you've had three years plus of watching these things. You know, let's figure out a mentorship program. Let's understand there's no way these companies can survive on their own. And they need someone with experience. They need a shepherd to guide them through this crazy cannabis world to give them a shot. Right. That's all. We got to give them a shot. And uh, and right now it's just a PR stunt. I love that. Yeah. Let's be actionable. Create some actionable you know, ways to go about this. You know, we've said this a lot, like, you know, write your programs and write your rules in a way that somebody somewhere is being hands on to like guide and shepherd. Like you said, I think that's what, that's what we need. We need less talking and more action. And that's why we love bringing people on like yourself. And, uh, you know, we're, we're grateful for you and what you do for for all of our communities and formerly incarcerated individuals and 
given them that opportunity because we know it's it's few and far between and and though we are kind of heading towards this idea of you know normalizing and and kind of reintegrating people back into society who were affected by the war on drugs we're still at the very beginning of this thing and it's going to take many more people like you Kevin and and all of us speaking out and just talking about it and sharing resources to to get this where it needs to be so uh, this isn't the end for us. I'm sure this isn't the end for you. And, uh, you know, we appreciate everything you do now and in the future. Yeah, thanks. Like I said, this is this is batting practice. This is us <laughs> just getting ready for the game. So uh, we got we got a long ways to go. And and we have a lot of great people in this industry. And, and you know, everybody's just trying to do their best to further our, you know, our project here, our our, uh, our goal. And um, and sometimes we miss these things and or they they're maybe they're 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 rolled out too quickly. Right. And so. You know, I'm just trying to provide the feedback that I can so that, you know, it, it can be it can be fixed and bettered um, as it rolls out uh, to, to other places. Absolutely. Yeah. I love but that. I love the cannabis industry. <laughs> and I love cannabis and I love working in it with all the challenges that we face, whether it's banking or, you know, whatever it may be, all these regulations and taxes. Um, I love it. And I am so appreciative to be in this in this in this space. And I, I would never go back to commercial real estate. <laughs> I say this a lot. And I probably should say it more, but I'm I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty bullish that when this all kind of starts to settle, the cannabis industry owners and people who have helped to get it to the point it's at today and further are probably going to be some of the baddest business owners you will find because, man, been through a lot and like a new challenge waiting at every corner. That's for sure. There's no doubt. I mean, people who are doing it right now are grinding. Um, I know it's just, it, it, it is nonstop. You're taking punches every day and you're going to keep going. And, and I think it's, you know, it, it, you have to have that. This isn't about money. This is about a love for the plant far before legalization came around. And now we have the opportunity to work with it. And that's why we're putting up with all this stuff. We believe in it so much and we know things are going to change down the road, but right now, got to tighten your belt and just deal with it. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, we always encourage our consumers to, you know, vote with their dollars, so to say. And if they can't physically come to Eco Cannabis, but maybe they're in California, what's a good, you know, social equitable brand that you would recommend for them? Yeah, there's a great, um, uh, there's a couple that we have. Uh, We have uh, uh, Kelly Bueno. Uh, That's a good brand that we work with. Um, We work with uh, Jesse and his his brand's called Green Peaks. Um, He's been in in, uh, Forbes. I don't know if you've seen him. Um, Mm -hmm. And he's a a real success story of Oakland's equity program. Super go-getter. This guy would have made it in anything. And, you know, he happened to, to make it in this. Um, I'm trying to think of all the other brands we have. They, I, um, you put me on the spot, so it's kind of <laughs> slipping. But we've got a lot in our store. What what I like about our store, if, if your visitors come to visit, one, we're close to the Oakland airport. And two, I'm a flower lover. I think that's the, the future of our business. I was told when, when I opened the dispensary that flower sales were going to get down to 20% or so. Um, but it hasn't. And so we have 40 different types of flower. Um, they're in bud pods, so you can smell it and you can look through the magnifying glass. We have the outdoor, we have the light depths, we have the really high, high end indoor, um, and we have a diverse offering and we have our equity brands as well. And so, um, that's really how I look at our store. We definitely have gummies and tinctures and topicals and all the other stuff and dabs, but, um, but I'm a flower guy and I, and, and I want to position eco as, um, as kind of a flower Mecca. Um, moving forward because I I see other dispensaries going the other way and there's no substitute for the flower. We agree a hundred percent. We are joint (laughs) smokers every night. So that's pretty much all we do. (laughs) Yeah. There's there's nothing better. 
Don't don't mess with (laughs) (laughs) All right, Kevin. Well, we are the Lit and Lucid podcast, so we do like to end our show with one final question. Are you lit or are you lucid? I'm lucid. Oh, perfect. I like it. I'll be lit after this. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Hey, you got to do both though. Time and place. Balance. (laughs) Cool. All right, Kevin. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Everybody check out Eco Cannabis on Instagram. I'm sure they need some likes to combat that shadow ban. So find them. If you or somebody you know needs a job and was formerly incarcerated, please hit them up. It sounds like a fabulous place to work. Absolutely. And thanks for having me. This has been fun, guys. Cool. Totally. All right, you guys, with that, I'm lit. I'm lucid. And that's it. Laters.